0: Good morning. It's good to be in the house today, amen? Let's give God some praise. Let's give him some glory. I know it's been a little chilly out there today. Starting to see fall coming through. And the seasons are changing. And I love this time of year because there's a saying um, you might have heard it before, the season change, but he stays the same. are here when we lift up your praise. You are enthroned upon the praises of your people. We invite you in this place to have your way, that you would rule and reign in this place, King of glory, enter in. Lord, we trust you because you are faithful. We thank you because you are faithful, not because of what you can do, but because of who you are. We praise your name this morning. Come. Father that we know we can count on you that you are the only person in whom we can put our trust and not be let down for the things of this world will let us down, they will leave us empty they won't satisfy, they'll lead us finding more but you are the one thing that satisfies the well of living water that never runs dry blessed us
1: say
2: On that note, I want us to take a moment to pray. We make it a part of our Sunday morning service for corporate prayer. Different different items come up, but this morning I want us to take a few moments to pray for the state of Israel. And uh, you know, we just sang, "There's no one like you, God. There's no one like you." And so I can confidently tell you that nothing has surprised God. He's got everything under control. And yet the Bible tells us that we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're to pray for the people of Israel. And this is more, I'm just going to say this at this point. You have to understand this is more than anything that's happened in the last 30, 40 years in Israel. We're used to skirmishes and you know, things where they go in for 10 or 20 days and try and put down. But they have declared a war. And even as of this morning, uh, rockets have been fired now out of Lebanon from Hezbollah. So it's two fronts. And there's no telling where this will go. God knows, but we don't. But we're just commanded to pray. And so I would ask you to pray for the military and political leaders of Israel who have been fractured up to this point almost to the point of the, the government about to break down again but they have come out and they are united this thing they, they somebody may be afraid that they poke the bear so to speak because they are they are united to see this thing put down and uh, so pray for them, but also pray for the people in Israel because this is literal evil. This is terror that has hit. There's never been anything like this where civilians, old, young, are being captured and kidnapped and brought back into the Gaza area, and they'll be human shields to try and prevent Israel from doing. What they need to do but at the same time if they don't then this thing gets bigger and continues on so they need a lot of wisdom i don't know about you but they need a lot of wisdom so let's just pray for the peace of jerusalem pray for the leadership pray for the people and let's see god at work heavenly father we come to you today in the name of your son jesus You said we can can come boldly to your throne and not be fearful about asking. But in obedience to your word, your your word says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the people of Israel. Because God, you said those who bless Israel will be blessed. And those who curse Israel shall be cursed. Therefore, O God, we today lift up the political and military leaders of that small state God they need wisdom that comes from your throne for these are prophetic events that are being coming to pass these are not normal uh, things that human wisdom can handle God they are there is a spirit that is greater than any they have experienced in many years and god we're asking you to give them wisdom from the throne father in the old testament when israel was to be attacked each time you revealed uh to the prophet what needed to be done and word was sent to the king and each time the enemy was thwarted and they wondered how could this be they wondered if they had a spy in the camp And they told him, they said, no, there's a prophet over there. And God's revealing to him everything that we go about to do. Father, I pray that there would be those who would have a prophetic voice, who would be put in right relationships with those who have influence, with those who are making decisions for that nation. We pray for the people there, Lord God where terror has struck. We know that that is not of you, Lord God. You are the Lord of peace and not chaos and confusion. And we pray, Lord God, that this would be a time where the Messianic believers in Israel would have opportunity to witness to their their kinfolk, their friends, their co-workers who do not know Christ, God, that they would this would be open doors for them to minister to them we pray that in the name of Jesus and we pray for the grieving families of of loved ones who have been kidnapped those who have been tortured those who have been murdered and and father we pray in the name of Jesus that God you would comfort them that 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 in their grief they would turn and call out to you Jesus And, Father, again, thwart the plans of Israel's enemies. And let us not cease praying for them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can be seated. The ushers are going to come at this time. This is Communion Sunday, and we're going to receive communion this morning. And we welcome you. Oh, we do not have closed communion, and that you don't have to be a member of Life Church. You just have to be a born again believer in, in, in Jesus Christ. And you're welcome to take of the uh, elements and, and receive communion together. And so, as the ushers come by, um, there's two cups put together one on the bottom has the, the little piece of bread in it, and the top one has the juice in there. And so um, we're just going to take a moment. The Bible says examine yourselves. Examine your own hearts to see that your heart is right and pure. Your motives are pure before the Lord. And so um, take this time to just ask the Lord to show you. Is there any place, anything that, God, that I need to confess, that I need to get out of my life, that I've done, that I may not even have realized it, but, God, that we sinned against you, And we pray right now, Lord God, open our eyes and give us understanding to that. For God, we desire to do this with a pure heart. Thank you, Lord. We take just a moment until everybody has been served. Has everybody been served that wants to be served? Anybody missed? Let us know. In Luke's gospel, chapter 22, when Jesus was having the Passover meal with his disciples, Luke records for us, he says, and when the hour had come, And the 12 apostles with him sat down. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we take the bread in remembrance of the fact that the Bible says he laid down his life. It was not taken from him. His life, he was not forcibly put on the cross. But he willingly chose to give his life for those who would believe. And so when we take this bread, we're reminded of that great sacrifice. He says, "When you do it, do it in remembrance of what I've done." And so, Father, we take this this wafer this morning. We take it in remembrance of the great price that your son gave when he laid down his life for us upon a cross. He died that we might live. What a glorious thought that is. He died so we can live. So, Father, we take this piece of bread, this wafer, right now in remembrance and say, Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Take the bread. And it says, in like manner, he took the cup after supper. And he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And he tells us, he says, That when you take it, be aware that this writes a new covenant a new agreement, and it's not written in ink. It's sealed and written with his blood. And that new covenant removes us from the law, which was impossible to fill, because the Bible says that to break one part of the law is to break all of the law. But Jesus writes a new covenant, and the giving of his life and the blood that he shed forgives us of our sins to those of us who believe. For the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And then he tells us, he said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I do it with you in my Father's house. My friends, he's gone to prepare a place for us He is the bridegroom, and he's coming soon for his bride. And following that wedding, there is going to be a feast. And he will lift a cup and we will join him. For he said, I will do this again with you in my father's house. So I am reminded of the future promise that he's coming again. And this cup symbolizes the reality of that promise. Heavenly Father, we know that Jesus is preparing a place for us in your house. And we know that you are the one who determines the time of when your son comes back for his bride. So not knowing the hour or the time is not our place. It is simply a matter of knowing our heart is right and prepared and looking for your return. So we take this cup and we do so looking forward to the day when as joined together, we take the cup, and celebrate the fulfillment of that promise. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take the cup. Thank you, Lord. Let's just take a moment to thank God and praise him for what he has done through Jesus Christ for us. Lord, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't even be gathered here today. And so we give you praise and we give you thanks. We give you praise and we give you thanks. We can all look at our lives and see the manner in which you worked in it, how you brought us to this place. But, Father, I know this, that when the trumpet sounds, we are all going in the same direction. We're going home to be with Jesus. And so we give you praise. Now, Holy Spirit, guide and direct us the rest of this morning for the glory of your namesake, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Why don't you just turn around and wave to somebody this morning and say, hello, usually there's not so many people in, Spaces in between, a lot of folks are traveling or on the road today, and so we're glad that you're here. I want to take uh, just a couple minutes before getting right into the message today. Uh, several people have asked me about what's going on in Israel, and I'm just going to mention little bits and pieces as we teach on this because it just happens that it coincides with the fi- with this final teaching on the series that we've been doing on Sunday morning. And um, so I don't think that's by coincidence either. But I would like to just take a moment and do something I don't regularly do at all, and that is to introduce... A couple of people to you. Um, right, um, this, this is Eric and Phoebe Hoffpower right here and um, we're glad. Phoebe's been coming for a few weeks and Eric was able to make it this morning and we're so glad that he could be here this morning too and I'd just like you to get to know them. Um, I had the privilege of meeting Phoebe, I don't know how many years ago it was, but she took my eschatology class uh, Phoebe is one of our credentialed Assembly of God ministers. And um, she's worked with Team Challenge. And uh, recently they've moved back from Texas, back from, they say, the great state of Texas. But if it's so great, why did they come back to Louisiana, right? <laughs> the food, that's why. <laughs> that's why. And uh, so anyway, um, we're so glad to have them a part of the family right now. And I have a special guest this morning I'm excited about, and I won't make him stand up or anything, but that man right there with that full head of gray hair, man, I mean, just looks so good, right, and tan, right, tan. That is my friend from high school days in California from ninth and 10th grade, and his name is Chuck Novotny, and we, um, went to high school together, and he reminded me this morning that, uh, when I was there, we put together a golf team for our high school, and, and Chuck started trying to hit that little white ball about that time, too, and, um, we actually got to get reunited some years ago on, on a trip that uh, my wife and I made to California, um, out at Pebble Beach, and, um, uh, we, we got together and sat in the country club area of the, what do you call that big building? And yeah, the lodge at Pebble Beach and, uh, found out that he was a contractor who actually, um, helped renovate that lodge at the time. And, um, and, and we, we met for several hours and he shared his testimony of everything he had been through and, and then how he came to Christ. And, and, um, so we've been friends on, on Facebook since then. And I got a message Friday Friday afternoon, I think or Friday night saying, are you preaching this Sunday? And I said, well, yes, I happen to be preaching Sunday. He said, well, I'm working back from California and Idaho and stuff and I may be able to come there to find myself in Louisiana on Sunday and so I'm just so honored to have Chuck here and envious he's he's retired now and bought a sailboat renovated that thing and put photos and videos online all the time and say it's a rough day today and be, be sailing the beautiful waters, you know. Of course, he does put a few videos on there in the middle of those lightning storms when lightning's striking all over the place, and I'm thinking I would not want my sailboat sticking straight up in the air, you know, a pole sticking straight up and whatever, but Chuck, it's an honor to have you here and, I just, and to count you as a friend a dear friend, but not only that, a brother in Christ. And the Lord's really given him a unique uh, ministry. If I would known he was coming, I might have had him get up and speak, but he probably wouldn't have come. But uh, he's, he's, he's got a unique ministry right now, and that he's smuggling Bibles into, that's what I call it, into marinas and onto boats that are in these marinas, and actually, doors are op- opening up for him to share Christ with uh, owners of these other boats and, and, uh, and things like that. And we're not talking about like a 15-foot fishing boat. Right? We're talking about marinas with big boats. And, um, uh, so, and, he, and he told me what I loved, the best part was, he said, and I'm loving it. So I, we're going to go eat lunch afterwards, and I want to hear some of the stories of what God has been doing, uh, in that, in that, you know, how, how cool would that be? Retire, live on a sailboat and sail around, smuggle Bibles and talk to people about Jesus. Man, that's awesome. That's a life. Lord, you got, you got that? (laughs) Amen. Um, let me just say, uh, thank you for your faithfulness in giving of tithes and offerings. Um, uh, last month, we had an emphasis on admissions and, and the boys' uh, BGMC. And we actually had money come in after the month ended last week. And so last month, over 1000 probably around $1,100 or more, $1,200 came in for the BGMC uh, Project Rescue. And so that, that brings to a total of a little over $4,000 so far for the year. And I think the, the kids have a goal of 5000 or something like that. So um, they're, they're close. And I just thank you for your faithfulness in that. And uh, we have four different ways to give. You can give using the envelopes on the boxes in the back, or there's an app you can download. Uh, you can do it from our website, or you can do the text to give, whichever way works for you. We appreciate your faithfulness. You're not given to me; you're given to the church, and the church we turn around and give. And I thank you for those who gave in missions last week. We picked up three of those ministers um, that were were sponsoring three scholarships. I got a message from a text message a couple days ago from Doctor Simpabwe saying thank you. He had just been notified of the fact that we were picking up three scholarships for three ministers that uh, are studying to get their degrees so that they can go back into the countries in Africa, that they've shut down the churches unless you have a diploma from an accredited uh, university. And so um, uh, uh, we're a part of that. We're building churches. We're sowing. You know, they they need pastors. And so we're helping them get to that place. So anyway, so let's get into this this morning. Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 and 17. You're probably sick of hearing this because I've read it every single week. This is, I think, week number eight, actually, because I threw one or two extras in there. It says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come the reality, however, is found in Christ. And our series has been called Looking Back to the Future and this one is called the Eighth Day or deals with the Eighth Day. Again, just a, a real quick review. The Apostle Paul says that the Jewish feast that God established in the law and, and the feast is not like what we think. The feasts are were holy days. Unto the Lord, he said that he said these were simply a shadow to give us an insight of what was to be fulfilled through Christ. So, all of the seven feasts—the four in the spring and the three in the fall—we've been looking at the ones in the fall—they um, are complete in Christ, and they are a fulfillment of what God said would come, and it came through Jesus Christ. In Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, and it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord. See, we always think of feast for us. You know, Thanksgiving, feast. We're going to to eat, you know. In fact, that's the 13th commandment in the American church, you know. Wherever two or three are gathered together, we're going to eat, right? I mean, we're going to have food. And he says, But the feast of the Lord... Which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations; these are my feasts. And we said that the Hebrew word for feast is the word moed, which means appointment. So these are saying, the the appointments of the Lord shall be holy convocations. And it says they are to be holy. My holy convocations is what he's saying. These are my feasts. And the word for convocation means like a dress rehearsal. And so he's saying, these are my feasts, these are my holy days, these are my times of coming together to prepare you for that which is going to come. And the key is that these feasts were rehearsals for the real events that were to come in the future, which Paul writes in the Colossian letter to the believers there, was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And so when I say it's for the real event, and again, I use this example for simply what? For 1,500 years, the Jews killed a Passover lamb in the month of Nisan on the 14th day. Why? Because 1,500 years after the law was given to Moses, Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb of God, would take away the sins of the world as he was killed in the month of Nisan, on the 14th day. He fulfilled that promise. He fulfilled that picture. So this is the eighth day, uh, um, or in, in the Hebrew would be Shemini Atzeret, And it comes from verse 33, 36, and 39 of Leviticus. Again, Leviticus is not a book most of people read. They just kind of scan through it. You know, or they jump past it because they figure it's the law doesn't apply to us. But again, these were shadows for us, they were foretelling of things that were to come. Then it says, So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The 15th day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day, There shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And then on the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly and you shall do no customary work on it. And then in verse 39, And it says, also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. And on the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest. And on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. So in these teachings concerning the Jewish feast, that's why we say we look back to see what the future holds for us. We've learned that God is very meticulous about the order, the purpose, and the message of these seven feasts, okay? God declares himself to be the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, and the end. He he has decreed what was and is and is to come. And he created it all and saw that it was complete and good. Remember that in the book of Genesis? After everything he created, he said, and he saw that it was good. And we've seen throughout the teaching over the last several weeks that there's a pattern that God has interwoven throughout His Word. And this is especially true concerning these divine appointments with God, these seven feasts, these seven moeds, these appointments with God. And there are seven feasts, and they're listed up on the screen for you. We have the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Fruits. The Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. And we've shown you what, how they relate in the New Testament and in the life of Christ. We talked about last week that, um, how the Feast of Tabernacles and Christ in his life, how he was a part of the Feast of Tabernacles during his lifetime and the things that he said in reaching out to his people. And what we see from this, at least I do, what we see from this is that it is a visual aid to to a bigger picture. And what is the bigger picture? The bigger picture is the coming of Christ, both the first time and the second time. And it deals with his ministry, and it deals with our redemption. This is the big picture. See, I don't want to just see this one little part. I want to see how it connects together. When I was a kid, there used to be a TV show on TV called Concentration. And I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember that. But they would have these boxes, and and the contestants would say box one and box seven, and they'd flip it around and show whatever it was, you know. And if they... uh, they would flip it back, and they had to find the ones that matched, you know, and then when it turned around, when it got done, it it, it was a puzzle that had a saying to it, and that's what this is. In other words, I don't want to just see the one square. I want to see the whole puzzle, and I want to know the meaning behind it, and that's what this really does. It helps us understand this. So Let's go back to something that I talked about uh, the last two weeks, and we're going to see it here because we've read several times, he says, that the Feast of Tabernacles would be for seven days. And we've seen several times this pattern of seven. We said it was going to be in the seventh month, and there were cert- certain things that each week we talked about this pattern of seven. And we said that the number seven in Scripture speaks to Completeness or perfectness, if I could put it that way. And I gave some examples the other week. For example, in the pattern of seven, all the songs you hear on the, uh, uh, you know, whether it's your phone or a radio or whatever, all those songs are based on a musical system of just seven major notes. If you pass sunlight through a prism, it produces seven colors, three primary colors. And four secondary ones. If you have in the realm of minerals and geochemistry, there are seven crystal systems. In chemistry, my favorite class in high school, no it was not, (laughs) but in chemistry, the periodic table of known elements appears to have seven levels of periodicity. And 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 we see this pattern of seven even through nature in all these different things. And so the, the seven feasts illustrate a divine pattern for us, one that was established during the week of creation, all the way back to the week of creation. And what is that divine pattern? The divine pattern of God is seven, but there would be six days of work and one day of rest. Now, I remember, I'm old enough to remember, when when there was nothing open on Sundays. Nothing. And and when I moved to the South in the middle of uh, my high school years, I learned what they called the blue law. I didn't know what the blue law was. California, we didn't have no blue law, but we had all other kinds of laws. But the and that was that you couldn't. There was nothing open on Sunday, and and certain things couldn't be sold at certain times. In fact, a lot of towns I lived in, uh, they shut downtown. The sidewalks would close up at five o'clock, and and on on Sunday, if you were out, good. Your neighbor, you hope your neighbor had something that you could borrow, because there was to be a day of rest. Now we live in a twenty-four-seven society and we never shut down for anything and are we any better for it no because we're stretched more thin I remember in the first grade them telling us that by you know the year 1970 something or 80 something we'd only be working three hours a week and and computers would be doing all the work for us no no computers are making us work 24 7 and and then when we get done we say we still got more to do But this, this pattern of six days of work, one day of rest, is seen over and over and over and over again throughout the Scriptures. Now, I wish I had given you a handout, but I'm, I don't know if you can see this. Up, that's up on the screen. But it is a summary of the weeks of Scripture, okay, and, and, and it is the wisdom of God in the scheme of things. And, and you, if you want, I'll put it on our uh, Facebook page or whatever, and you can actually download it. But if you look at it, what you're going to see is simply that there's a week of days. Number one's a week of days. And a week of days is what? Seven days, right? And it's God's basic pattern six days followed by a day of Sabbath. And it gives the scripture references. But then there's, a, in, in the Bible, a week of weeks. And what is that? It's 49 days. And that is the period of time between the first fruits and the feast of Pentecost. And then there's a week of months. And what is a week of months? Well, a week is seven, right? And so of months, it's seven months. And the seven months of the Jewish religious calendar, uh, which contain all of the seven Jewish feasts. Now, there's more months in the Jewish calendar, but the seven feasts are within seven months on the Jewish calendar. And then there's the week of years. And how long is a week of years? Well, if seven is seven, then there's seven years. And the Israelites were commanded to work the land for six years, and then they were to give the land a Sabbath rest, a seventh year in which they were not to work the land, okay? Okay. Then there's the week of weeks, and it's 49 years, and that's the period of time between celebration of the year, uh, celebration and the year of Jubilee, the 50th year. Then there's the week of decades. It's 70 years, the years that are allotted to man. Then there's the week of weeks of decades. (laughs) When you say weeks of weeks of decades, what am I talking about? The weeks of weeks of decades works out to 490 years, and it's the period of time that Daniel um, uh, uh, was, was told that God's purpose would be complete through history. And that's why the, the last seven years in the Bible is known as Daniel's 70th week, because from the time that God gave the command uh, to, to rebuild the temple to the cutting off of Messiah, to Christ was killed, was equal to 489 years, and that leaves a seven-year period. So that's known as Daniel's 70th week because God said it has been decreed unto your people 70 weeks. In other words, there's going to be 490 years for my purpose to be brought forth in their lives. Now, God's division of time into seven, or weeks, is thoroughly permeates the scripture, so much so that the Jewish rabbis that um, said that the human race or the human history would be a week of millenniums. Millennium simply means a thousand. So they said they said it would be that man's history would be a week of millenniums. What they taught was that there would be six days or six thousand years that mankind would rule on the earth, and do as he wishes to do with the land. But on the seventh day would be the seventh millennium, the last thousand years, would be a Sabbath, and when man would cease his labors, and God would establish himself as ruler over that period of time. And it's all through what's known as the Talmud, and the Talmud is simply the written uh, rabbinic, Um, debates that took place from the 2nd through the 5th, some say the 8th century. And they simply said that 6,000 years man would toil the earth and there would be strife, but it would be followed by 1,000 years of peace. And that would be when Messiah would come. They believe in two ages. The Jews believe in two ages. They believe in the present age where man is ruling and they believe in the second age when Messiah will come. So when Jesus spoke to the people, said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, even to the end of the age, the end of the age was the period when man would cease from his labors and Messiah would come to the earth. That's what they understand it to be. And so they understood that the plan of God was the culmination of 7,000 years. The first 6,000 years, they have it actually subdivided. Um, The first two two days or 2,000 years is known as the age of desolation. The days three and four are known as the, the, the age of the Torah. And the last two days are known as the age of Messiah. And what's interesting is that the seventh day is known as the Messianic age, the seventh day. And they see it with the culmination of the final redemption of Israel That all the exiles will come back to Israel and that Messiah, son of David, will assume rulership over the earth. When I teach eschatology and Bible prophecy, I like to show this on a timeline, just simply this. You could see this, that there's 2,000 years basically from the time of Adam to the time of Abraham. And God makes Abraham a promise. And then 2,000 years from that time to to the time that Christ died on the cross. And then from the time that Christ ascended to heaven to the time that when Christ comes back again is approximately 2,000 years. And that last 1,000 years is that last seventh day of millenniums. Is that too much? You following me? Does that help? Okay. And here's the thing that they believe. And I'm, I'm not saying this is in the Bible. I'm saying what Jewish um, uh, 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 teachers have taught for years is that this final redemption will take place on the seventh day of the week of the seventh month, beginning in the seventh millennium. Why? Because they see the number seven as completeness. The final act, they see it, and that's the way they've taught it. And they've, they've long believed that the last day will be a 1,000 years. The Messiah's age will be a 1,000 years. And Revelation chapter 20 confirms that to us. Six times it tells us that the tribulation, or after the tribulation, Christ will come back to earth, and he will rule and reign on the earth for 1,000 years. But that is not the end. For we know that there's something beyond that thousand years. And that ha- has to do with this message, the eighth day. Because a week makes up what? Seven days, right? Well, here's the thing about the, 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 the feast week is that th- those first six feasts, remember, are related to man's toil, his working, his hardships, sin, all of that. But the last feast is not about that at all. It is about the fact that it is a celebration that man's labor, his toil, sin, all of that, Messiah comes back. It is about a time of rest. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is coming back to earth soon. And it is closer than a lot of people realize. Listen, in the last 30-something hours, I've had more text messages and messages sent to me and questions asking me, what is going on in Israel? And I just say exactly everything that's written in this book. It is happening. And people have said, but I didn't think it would be now. How could you not think it's going to be now? Are you deaf and blind to the things that are happening in the world and at the speed of which things are accelerating all around us? It, 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 again, I've used this illustration before. The Bible says it will, be, it will come. they will say, peace, peace, and then sudden destruction will come upon them. They said like a woman who's pregnant with a child. Like for nine months she's carried that child. And then when the labor starts they're surprised. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, I think it's now. <laughs> you know, well you knew it was coming, you know. I'm not ready. What do you mean you're not ready? <laughs> you know, gotta wash my hair. Never <laughs> y- y- y'all laugh. I'm not going there. I'll get in trouble. And uh, love you, baby. <laughs> no, you're not getting a new outfit. <laughs> Whoever rule: if I use my wife in a sermon, then she gets a new outfit, so I didn't name her. And, uh... <laughs> but the Feast of Tabernacles is celebrated for seven days. It takes place in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, and it begins on the 15th day of the month of Tishri. Now, the seventh speaks to completeness, right, uh, finality. Hashanah Ravah, which is the seventh day of the feast, is the day the rabbis say that the gates of judgment finally close, and the decrees that were pronounced by God uh, five days earlier, um, uh, before the Feast of Tabernacles, he said um, on Yom K- He said those those decrees of judgment on the day of atonement are going to be carried out after this time. In other words, they see it as the final day of judgment, which parallels in the New Testament to the great white throne judgment that is seen in Revelations 20, 11 through 15. In other words, at the end of this seventh millennium, at the end of this seventh day, that they're talking about, the seventh millennial time. So the Bible says that the books are going to be opened and the dead who are outside of Christ are going to be resurrected and stand before the throne of God and they will be judged at the end of that thousand-year period. It's, it's, it's a foreshadow of what is being found in Christ. So this message, though, is about the eighth day because we read it earlier that it will begin on a Sabbath, it will end on a Sabbath, and then it says, and then on the eighth day it shall be a special Sabbath. What is Sabbath? It's a rest. It's, it's what it is. It's the Sabbath means rest. It, 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 it's a time to rest. Six days... You work. On the seventh is a Sabbath. You, you rest from your work. But this says that this Feast of Tabernacles is seven full days, which began a week ago Friday, and then there's an eighth day. Most people skip that. And the eighth day is the day after the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. And this eighth day is a prophetic picture of God's eternal kingdom of peace that will last forever. And we find that in the last two chapters of the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and chapter 22. Now, I want you to consider this. This is what? The final point of rest. Because what happens in Revelation? It says, Those who are judged before the throne, whose names are not found in the book of life, they are cast alive into the lake of fire. Hell itself is cast alive into the lake of fire. Those who are righteous have already stood before God. And, and, and the Bible says the earth is renovated by fire, And then the kingdom of God comes down to earth. The new Jerusalem descends from the heavens and is literally on the earth at that time. It is the time when the curse is gone. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more curses, no more anything. It is going to be the eternal point of peace. Okay? Now, remember this. When... When did the news break out of the attacks in Israel? Saturday morning. Do you know what that was? The eighth day. The eighth day. The day of peace. And the reason the Israeli army was caught off guard so much, many of their people had gone back for the last day of the feast of tabernacles, the day of Sukkot, to, to, to celebrate that holy day, that high Sabbath. And is it interesting that on the day that is so holy, that it's r- to remind the Jews that there's coming a day of eternal peace, war breaks out. I don't believe in coincidence. The enemy knows the book too. Now, in biblical numerics, we have seen that the number seven deals with completeness or perfection, but I want you to see that, in other words, when you complete something, you bring it to the end, right? How many of you have ever started a project, halfway through the project, wish you were at the end, and you're thinking, why did I ever start this project, right? Right? But when you get to the end, what have you gotten to? The the end. In other words, it's finite. It's you, It is. It can be counted. It can be measured. It, it in all those ways. It can be seen. Okay, the number eight in the Bible deals with new beginnings or eternity. And you say, well, how 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 does it do that? The the it is it is like number. If seven is complete perfectness, then eight is a step beyond that. It's something on the other side of completeness. It's something on the other side of perfectness. It's like the 61st second in a minute or the 61st minute in an hour. In other words, 60 is what defines it, but it's like going one minute or one second past that the number eight speaks of new beginnings or eternity. And if seven speaks of that which is finite, then eight speaks of that which is infinite. And the symbol for infinity is the number eight laying on its side. And an infinity is defined as something that is unlimited, endless, and without bound or boundaries. So God says, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a time of rejoicing, ceasing from your rest, ceasing from your work, and you're going to rest. He said, but on the eighth day, there's going to be a special holy day, a special convocation. The eighth day, it's the only feast that's like that. And God says, the eighth day is a high Sabbath. It, it, is, it is a unique Sabbath. Because my friends, he says there's something beyond the completeness of your understanding. There is a rest beyond what you know that you and I can grasp hold of. The Bible says, I has not seen, and the ears have not heard, and neither has it even entered into the heart of men the things that God has prepared for his people my friends, it is beyond the end. It's beyond the completeness. Take the completeness that you can imagine, and God says, I'm going to take it to a whole new level. See, it's not a coincidence that the eighth day is a special Sabbath. It is a high Sabbath when no one is allowed to work in any way, form, or fashion. It is to the Jews, it is known as the, the ending of the reading of the Torah and the beginning of a new cycle where it starts again. But God says, at the end, there's a new thing coming, and it will never end. It is infinite. In Revelation 21, 1 through 4, it says, Now I saw a new heaven a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And also there was no more sea. And then I saw John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold! The tabernacle of God is with men. Notice that. The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. I have that underlined because I want you to see that. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. It is at that time that we know from the book of Revelation and other books in Scripture that the new heaven and a new earth, a time when the new Jerusalem comes. Look, God says it's going to be new. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, new everything. Everything's going to be changed. Everything's going to be different. And therefore, the eighth day that's in the Old Testament is a prophetic preview of what happens after the 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth when man's ruling on the earth comes to an end. In Revelation 22 and 13, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end, the first and the last. And Colossians 1.17 says, He, speaking of Christ, is before all things, and in him all things consist. I'm bringing this thing to a close, but I want you to see this, because this is the whole point of this whole series. I've said it every week, and I want you to understand. Here's the point you underneath, and that is that the birth of Christ Marked the beginning for mankind in God's plan of redemption. His birth was the beginning of God's redemption plan for anyone who would believe in his son. His return to earth marks the completion of God's plan of redemption. Because when he comes back to earth, he's not coming as savior. He's coming as Lord of lords, king of kings, judge of the whole earth. And as we have seen that each and every feast day have all pointed towards this one goal, and that is that God's ultimate plan from the beginning of time was to dwell among his people. Before Adam's sin, we read that he would walk with God in the cool of the evening. It was God's desire to have fellowship with his creation, but it was the sin of Adam and Eve that separated him and all of that would be born afterwards from that relationship with God. And so the feasts simply point out God's plan, hidden for the ages of old, revealed through Jesus Christ, and every one of them point to the fact that it's, it's to bring us to the place where we can be reunited with God, have a relationship with the one who created us. It's the goal. That's what it's all about. It's not not like something on our calendar we mark like July 4th. Hey, picnic, fireworks. That's not what it's about. These feasts, these holy days, these convocations were to point us to the fact that God's desire was to dwell with his people. And it will happen in the flesh when Jesus Christ comes back again. I can't tell you how many people I've spoken with in recent weeks and months who do not believe that Jesus Christ is coming back to earth. They don't believe it or they've never heard of it. They think it's some spiritual hoodoo thing, you know, that's going to happen. No, the Bible says every eye shall see him. Every, Every human being on the face of the earth will see him coming back in all of his glory. And all the prophecies, including these feast days, are coming to pass quickly. And they tell us of this foretold event of the return of Jesus Christ. And when he comes back, the Bible says, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, when that day comes, people will be forced to bow a knee and confess that Christ is Lord. But I'm so thankful that I live in a time where God, through his love and mercy, expresses his desire to you and me and to anyone else that that we are welcome to come. He desires to have fellowship with us, relationship with us. He wants it now. He's not looking for us to be forced to bow our knees. I grew up in church where they would tell you, stand up, sit down, sit stand up, sit down. Kneel, stand up, sit down. I used to call it kangaroo church. I did. I was like, I'm, I'm so worn out by all this. Up, down, up, down. Oh, no. You know, I even got to where I'd kind of keep one knee down and one key, knee up, you know, because... I mean, I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not mocking it. I'm just telling you the truth because we were forced to kneel down. But I'm so glad that I can bow my knee right now and say, Jesus, I declare you as Lord and Savior of my life. In you, I live and move and have my being. Without you, there is no hope. God, I love you. And he invites us to come now of our own accord And the Spirit of God has been sent forth to bear witness of the truth of God's Word that we will accept Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, as Savior of our life. Because He desires a relationship with Him. I want to close by telling you this story. I just feel like I need to tell it real quick. When my wife and I first got married, we went to work for a man named Norval Hayes, and um, in a ministry that was on college campuses all across the country. And he happened to own a business out of Memphis, Tennessee, that did engraved stationery for the fraternities and sororities on campuses all across America. And so we would go into these universities, small small ones, large ones didn't matter, if they had. Greek houses, in other words, if they had sororities or fraternities there, we would go in, and we had the license to come in on those campuses because we sold the stationery that their members used. And that was our door in. And it was easy in most of the places, because the campuses had houses. The, the, like, you know, the frat house, the sorority house, they literally had a facility on the campus. But the first time that my wife and I went to Lubbock, Texas, to Texas State University, we found out that the frats and sororities were in dormitories. And each floor was like, pretty much a different fraternity or sorority. Well, the only way my wife and I got in, we were 19 when we got married. So we looked like them. And uh, normally I'd work the sororities and she'd work the fraternities because the guys would talk to her and the girls would talk to me and we'd make more sales because that's how we supported ourselves. We, we had no one paying our way. But here, she had to work the sorority. I couldn't go into the girls' dorms, obviously. I'd go into guys' dorms. And I remember I I, I was in a room, and there were two guys there. And there was a guy on a bunk, and there was a guy at a desk working. And I knocked on the door, asked if I could come in. I made my little spiel, showed them the stationery and everything. And uh, they weren't interested, but we would take with us uh, a, a little paperback book, either crossing a switchblade or a monkey off my back or something like that, that, and we would just sow them. We would plant them. You know, the Bible says somebody has to sow the seed. That's not a, that's not a glamorous job. Some of them just got to water the seed. We all want to be the ones who get to reap the harvest, but someone's got to sow the seed first. And so I said, well, can I leave this book with you? So I pulled out this book, Crossing the Switchblade, and the guy on the top bunk looks at me and goes, what's that... What's that about? I said, oh, and so I briefly told him the story of David Wilkerson and him going to New York City and the gangs and the whole nine yards. Man, he was so enraptured by me telling that story. I remember he he got up off his bunk, and he's sitting on the end of the bunk. He's about to fall off the top bunk. He's just leaning forward just on every word. And the guy at the desk is just sitting there, and he's just doing whatever he was doing. He didn't give me, like, the time of day. And when I got done, he said, the guy on the top bone goes, that is so incredible. I wish I could experience that. I said, you can. I said, you can know God just like that. Just like Nikki Cruz came to Christ, you can know. God, God knows you already. He, knows, he sees you right here. I, I said, all we have to do is pray. He said, yeah. He said, you can do that. I said, yeah, I'm here, man. We could do that. He's like, okay. And so then he turns to his roommate, and he called him by name, and he, the guy looks up at him and goes, what? He said, you want to pray with us too? He goes, nah, I grew up with all that junk. He said, I don't need none of that, and I will never forget the response of the guy on the top bone because this was all new to him. He said, Are you kidding me? He said, you mean you could know the God of the universe in a personal way and you don't want to? And the guy looked at him and goes, do whatever you want. I got no use for it. And that guy jumped off the top bunk and we joined hands together and we prayed. And I remember giving him phone number I said you can call this number if you have any questions whatever and I walked out of the room but I will never forget I looked out of the corner of my eye and he goes over to his roommate still sitting at the desk and he's got his hand on it he's like in his face and he's like pointing at him and I knew he was probably saying dude did you hear what the guy said he said man he said God knows me now I mean I thought wow there's no telling what God's going to do But that that was his thing. You mean you could know the God of the universe personally and you wouldn't want to? I thought that's the best closing line I've ever heard. And I'm telling you, you can know the God of the universe in a personal way. And the Bible says you have to believe first he is the son of God. That he was born of a virgin he lived a life without sin he died on the cross he was buried in a tomb and on the third day he was raised from the dead he ascended into heaven sits at the right hand of the Father and he's about to come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords the Bible says you must believe that and you must repent of your sins repent is not be sorry we're all sorry We're all sorry we get caught doing something. We're all sorry we did something in our past. We can all look back to things we're sorry that we did. But that doesn't mean a lot of people are sorry, but they just keep on doing it. Repent means to have a change of thinking that brings about a change of action. My change of thinking is that my thinking begins to align with what God's Word says. That I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus is the only answer to deliver and save me of my sins. So I've got to repent and I've got to believe. And then the Bible says, confess with your mouth that what you believe in your heart. And if you do that, your life changes instantly. Here's the thing I learned. I'm not perfect but I am forgiven I've got to be retrained but I'm already adopted into the family of God and he desires what's best for me he desires what's best for you so we're gonna pray there may not be anybody here this morning I don't know everybody. I don't know where you stand with God. But there may be somebody who's watching by way of the internet. Either right now or in the days to come. If you're ready to know God in a personal way. Through Jesus Christ. And you believe those things. And you repent of your sins. Then pray with me right now. Dear God in heaven. I come to you this day as a sinner in need of a savior i believe your son jesus died on a cross for me and you have raised him from the dead dear jesus forgive me of my sins come into my life I surrender everything all that I have all that I am all that I'll ever be I give to you you become the Lord of my life I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Father, I pray for any person who has just surrendered their life and repented of their sin to you through the name of your Son, Jesus. The Bible tells me that there is A party going on in heaven. There is a rejoicing taking place in heaven right now. It says the angels in heaven are rejoicing. And it says that the one in the presence of the angels. Father, I believe that is you, even yourself, rejoicing that the work of your son has brought another lost soul home rob the enemy of another victim lord god and brought into another member of your family in the name of jesus christ holy spirit i pray for any person who's prayed that prayer who's who surrendered their life god bear witness to them right now that things have changed and from this day forward you are working all things together for the good of them that they might know you in an even more personal way this is the first step of a great beginning This is that day of rest that they enter into. They're no longer toiling from their sin and their own labors and their own way that have brought them nothing but death and destruction. They are delivered and given life in the name of Jesus Christ this day. And we rejoice over that, God. We thank you that you have come to dwell in each and every one of us fulfilled in jesus christ amen amen can we stand together and let's just worship the lord for a moment can we give god thanks for what he's done what he has done in your life remember where you came from remember what he delivered you from remember how what he saved you from remember just take a moment to remember the Feast of Tabernacles. The the roofs were open enough that they could look to the heavens and be reminded of the one who created it all. Right now, in this place, in this place, let us look to the heavens and be reminded of what God has done in our lives. Father, we just praise you and we thank you and we give you glory and honor. It was you who sought us out. It was not us seeking you and though we were not worthy you still came after us because your son who was worthy laid down his life that we might live and i thank you god that when you when your son came to live in my life the spirit of god came to live in our lives it was more than a get out of hell free card it was the beginning of of a relationship, and I thank you, Lord, for the last 53-plus years, you have been there every step of the way. Through the good times, the difficult times, you have not left my side, and I thank you for that. I thank you for that. Father, I pray for our nation that there would be a great shaking and a great harvest, an in-gathering, Lord, of people who are looking for answers. I, I felt this morning in prayer time that What's happening in the Middle East is one thing, but there's another shaking coming before the end of this month that is going to hit even closer to home to every American. And the Bible says for believers that we are to be ready to give an answer for the hope that dwells within us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I, I, I exhort you, be prayed up, fasted, ready to give an answer for the one who lives inside of you to those who are empty and shaken and bruised and looking for an answer. Be ready. Be ready. Mark my words, it's coming. Be ready. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And as you leave this place today, go in confidence and in strength that He who has called you is able to do above all that you can ask or think. For His name. Amen. Amen. If you need personal prayer, come and we'll pray for you. Reminder, at the end of this month, 27th, 28th, 29th, last Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Jason Beard's going to be with us. We're going to have a time just of God coming and meeting with us and us meeting with God. Bring somebody with you. Tell somebody about it. 7 o'clock on that Friday, 6 o'clock on Saturday, and then twice on Sunday at 1030 and 6 o'clock that night. God bless you. Have an incredible week. Like I said, if you need prayer, come and we'll pray for you.